about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. To some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like the other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The second reading is from Philippians, chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. It can be found on, printed out on the sheet you received when you came in. Philippians, chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Furthermore, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it's a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision... We who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law faultless. But whatever were gains for me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Friends, good evening. My name is Matt, one of the pastors here. If you're new or visiting online or in the building, it is fantastic to have you. We are looking at the book of Philippians. This fantastic positive letter to a group of Christians in Philippi, uh, just exhorting them to live in the way of Jesus, in the way of the gospel. And there's a bit of a turn in the letter tonight as we consider a warning that is given to the Philippians about their joy in the Lord Jesus Christ. But just before we get into that, I just wanted to notice something about our culture for a moment. 
And that's that in this century, short though it has been so far, there has been a bit of a moral turn. It has to do with the rise of social media and the ability to judge and discern things on the fly in short sentences all the time. And with this rightful investigation of many injustices and their unearthing and their judgment. But all those things together have come to a head in things like cancel culture, which has taken on a bit of a life of its own, outside of its good purposes. Nick Cave, the great musician, uh, I'm going to let him talk. Here's what he thinks about this, whether you think this is wrong or right, have a listen. As far as I can see, cancel culture is mercy's antithesis. Political correctness has grown to become the unhappiest religion in the world. Its once honorable attempt to reimagine our society in a more equitable way now embodies all the worst aspects that religion has to offer and none of the beauty. Moral certainty and self-righteousness shorn even of the capacity for redemption it has become quite literally bad religion run amok. Very interesting observation of the moral turn of our culture toward a new religion. That around these moments where things are discovered in the past of great people, which leads to them being publicly condemned and then cancelled, in some cases rightfully and thankfully so, but in the midst of that has grown a culture of where this is the norm. We are waiting and expecting for judgment in the social media space on all of us. Uh, as this has happened in this, in, in this century, this word righteousness has had a little bit of a revival. I'm a trained math teacher, so here's a token graph that warms my heart. The word righteousness, very, very uh, frequent, frequently used in the 19th, middle of the 19th century, has gone right down. But see, the uptick this century has nothing to do with uh, the revival of faith, but just with our public discourse. It's making a comeback, being pure, being morally right, being in the right matters again. Barack Obama talks about the problem of this, interestingly, this idea of purity, and you've never been compromised, and you're politically woke and all that stuff. You should get over that quickly. The world is messy. There are ambiguities. People who do really good stuff have flaws. All of us have our flaws. All of us, if we were to dig up our pasts, you'd be able to find something on us. And so we're in this cultural moment where there is a new longing to be found in the right, to be found righteous. And really what we need to navigate this moment is Philippians chapter 3 where Paul talks about how to be in the right in a way that has nothing to do with your social identity markers or the different things you follow or how good you are or how perfect you are, but everything to do with Jesus. So let's follow him on the way through this evening on your handout. There's even an outline uh, on your handout as well if you want to follow along. The first thing that Paul wants to draw to our attention, it's a bit of a warning his way into this discussion about being in the right, being righteous, having righteousness, is to watch out where your confidence lies. 
In verse 1, he says, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. This, this exhortation to find joy in Jesus. And he says this to safeguard them, he says. And then he warns them against a certain person or a group of people. Watch out, verse 2, for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. Verse 2 is under-translated. He says, watch out three times. Watch out for those dogs. Watch out for those evildoers. Watch out for those mutilators of the flesh. Now, we don't know who he's talking about from those statements. There's a lot in that, but I'm not going to go into it. But that last one is a bit of a clue. Mutilators. It pairs with the word circumcision awkwardly in verse 3. And probably who Paul is talking about is a group of Jewish Christians who began to insist that you needed to become circumcised and adhere to the Jewish law in order to be a true follower of God, to belong to him truly and fully. But Paul says, watch out for them. Watch out for them. And then he lays out a clear distinction, two types of confidence. He talks about boasting in Jesus or having confidence in your flesh. You can find your confidence in who Jesus is or find your confidence in yourself, in what he calls the flesh. Two ways. And he wants us to watch out for where our confidence is. Now, what does he mean by flesh? What does it mean to find confidence in the flesh? He's talking about, in the first instance, about finding confidence in the fact you're circumcised or uncircumcised or whether you follow the Jewish law or not. But then he goes on in the next bit of the passage to basically give us his LinkedIn profile, right? If you have one of those. And uh, it's basically all the different parts of his flesh, of what makes up who he is, the different things he could have confidence in. He says, if someone thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Don't you love that? If you've got a reason for confidence tonight, Paul has more. And the list is actually full of lots of different things. It's full of his ethnicity, his uh, pure-blood Jewish status. It's full of his religious adherence, how good he is at following the Jewish law. It's full of his spiritual passion, his fervor in persecuting the church. It's full of his religious, spiritual, and even intellectual uh, education. He's a Pharisee. He studied under Gamaliel. He's a Harvard scholar of the Jewish world. He is religiously, socially, spiritually, and intellectually and religiously superior. And what we get in this picture is the fullness of what it means to have confidence in your flesh. Having confidence in anything you have by nature of your birth or anything you've gained by the nature of the way you do life that is significant in its own right, whether it be intellectual or religious or social or spiritual, any of it could be a reason for confidence. Now, let's be honest about this for a second. We all have a list like Paul's. He's listed it for a particular reason that he's about to do something with. But all of us, don't we, at that moment in the middle of the night, 
when we sense our failings, when we sense our lack of significance, we all rattle off a little bit of a list to our own hearts about why we are significant in the end. It has to do with our past, our family maybe. It has to do with the places we've been and the places we've seen and the experiences we've had or the education we've had or the position we've gained or the people we know or the ideas we've studied or, or the books we've read. Sometimes it's a little more subtle. Sometimes it's about the fact that we are just better at handling money than other people. Or I'm just more politically nuanced than the other people I know. Or I'm just a more interesting type of Christian or person than other people. I'm more self-disciplined. And I'm better with my physical body. Friends, let's be honest tonight. All of us have a little list of our flesh, of the things we find confidence in in ourselves, our reasons for our significance. Paul wants to call you out tonight and say, watch out where your confidence lies. And put no confidence in it, in fact. See, what he's going to go on to say is that there are two types of righteousness. There are two ways to be in the right. And at the end of the day, you have your confidence in one or you have it in the other, but you can't have it in both. And so Paul, after giving us his LinkedIn profile, in verse 7 then goes on to say, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. He lays out his list, and then he looks back at it, and he almost gets out, uh, the, the language he uses is economic. It's almost like he has a spreadsheet or a ledger in front of him, and he says, all these things which really should be in my positive, in my bank balance, now that I've met Jesus, they all put me in the red. I count them all as loss. I count them all as debts as hindrances, as insignificant, compared to the surpassing value of what I find in Jesus Christ, the surpassing worth of knowing him. Notice how his language intensifies in those few verses. He starts by saying, whatever was gained, now I consider loss. Then he says, everything is a loss. And then he says, I consider them garbage. I consider them to be less than nothing. I consider them to be worthless. Now, what's he doing here? It's not like he's renouncing his Jewishness or he's renouncing what he's been given, but he is renouncing his confidence and dependence upon these things. Because what he goes on to say is there are two types of righteousness in the end. And what Paul says is that I want to gain Christ and in verse 9, be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Let me slow down on this. This is a really important verse. First of all, he says, I want to be found in him. See, at the end of the day, there will be a final day 
where you can be found in something. And you could be found in you and in what you've done and how good you are or how good you think you are or how smart you are or how passionate you've been. But Paul doesn't want to be found in him. He wants to be found in Jesus. Covered and clothed in his purity and righteousness and integrity and strength and love. He says there are two types of righteousness. You can have a righteousness of your own or that which is through faith in Jesus. You can have a righteousness from the law, a righteousness based on how good you keep the things of God, how spiritual you are, how good you are, how good a thing you've made of your life. Or a righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. See, at the end of the day, when it all comes down to it, you can depend on you to put yourself in the right, or you can depend on Jesus. And you can have one or the other, but not both. The same as you can be in Sydney or in Melbourne, but not both. So you can be in him or in you. What Paul says is that it's far better to be in Jesus. I love that word faith that gets repeated. Calvin says that faith presents man before God as naked. That he may be clothed with the righteousness of Christ. Here is the beautiful truth of the Christian faith. That it does not depend upon how good you are or what you have done, or how good or how bad you think you are, it all comes down to being found in Him, coming naked to Him, and letting Him clothe you in a righteousness, in a right standing, in a purity, in a love, that will far surpass anything you could gain in your 80 years of life. You know, it's so easy to to get close to this but miss it. To think that your confidence should be in Jesus-y things, like knowing enough of the Bible, or being in church enough, or being Christian enough, or having the right ideas, or being in with the right people, or being in the right church. None of those are the right confidence. The only thing that matters is whether your faith, your dependence, your trust is in Christ. There are two types of righteousness. And on the final day, you can depend on yourself or you can depend on Christ. And Paul says to depend on Christ is far better. But how do we actually do this? How is it that we actually can transfer confidence from one to the other? From the the list of things that we rattle off to ourselves in the middle of the night to the person of Jesus. And what Paul uh, mentions a couple of times in this passage is that it is actually all very simple. It just comes down to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ and being like him. Did you notice that, that phrase knowing and how it comes up a few times? It's the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. My Lord, he says. My Lord. My Lord. His personal Lord. He's not talking about an abstract Jesus or a past Jesus, but a present Jesus who he knows, who he is experiencing, who he is relating to. 
See, all of the Christian life comes down to just knowing who Jesus is. To experiencing him. Paul says again in verse 10, I want to know Christ. I want to I know the power of his resurrection. I want to dive headlong further and further into who Jesus is. You see, what happened for Paul was not that he looked back at his LinkedIn profile and thought, they're actually not that good. It's not very good. He looked at Jesus and found something better that made all these look pathetic and small. The secret is not thinking of what you have less, but regarding who Jesus is more, knowing him deeply and truly. Notice how for Paul, this isn't an an abstract knowledge either. It's practical. He wants to participate in Christ's sufferings, becoming like him in his death. The way of the Christian life is to walk in the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus that led him to sacrifice himself on our behalf. You see, the reason why we're made righteous by him is because he takes his unrighteousness upon us on the cross that we might become righteous as he was. He sacrificed himself for us. And and Paul wants to dive headlong into Jesus and join him in his death, sacrificing himself as Christ sacrificed himself for him. What Paul's talking about is is actually something we saw in chapter 2. This, descript, this beautiful description of Jesus who was in very nature God but made himself nothing and became a servant and became obedient to death, even death on a cross who went down from heaven to die on the cross for us. In chapter 3, Paul uses the same kind of flow of logic about his own life. I, he had confidence in himself. He was somebody, but because of Jesus, he lost everything, became nothing, and now wants to become like Jesus in his death. Paul has decided to follow the path of Jesus, to dive headlong into who he was. And he knows that if he dives headlong into the way of Jesus, Jesus will meet him there and he'll know him. He'll commune with him. He'll fellowship with him. But it's not just death he sees in Jesus, but life. But before we get to that, you might be thinking, well, I'm not going to die like Jesus died. But there's a thousand moments in your day tomorrow. Maybe not a thousand. There are many moments in your day tomorrow of cross-shaped living. Fleming Rutledge says it's better than I will, so let me go to her. To show any sort of care for others at all, some sort of sacrifice is necessary every day. To be magnonious instead of vindictive, to stand back and let someone else share the limelight, to absorb the anger of a teenager in order to show firm guidance, to be patient with a parent who has Alzheimer's, to refrain from undermining a colleague, to give away money one would like to spend on luxuries, to give up smoking, to bear with those who can't give up smoking. All such things, large and small, require sacrifice. What would life be without it? So many little moments where we can dive headlong into the same life that Jesus had. But you see, Paul's confidence to dive into that life is based on something else, based on Jesus' resurrection. Jesus died and was exalted to the right hand of God. And so Paul wants to not just know death, but know resurrection. He he expects to be raised back from the dead one day, which is the great Christian hope. He wants to know the power of Christ's resurrection. 
He wants the resurrected, exalted, powerful name above every name, Jesus. He wants to know him. He wants confidence in him, in life and in death. You see, it's this Jesus who died and rose again, who died for you and can raise you from your grave. It is knowing this Jesus that makes everything else look pathetic and small. That makes you think, why would I be on the final day trust who I am and what I have done when I could die and rise with him? You might be thinking, well, what am I going to do with this tonight? Can I just say one really simple thing? For wherever you are in the room tonight, if you consider yourself a Christian or you don't consider yourself a Christian, actually, it all starts in the same place. It all starts with admitting just our spiritual bankruptcy. We're just owning the fact that if cancel culture came for us, we would fall under judgment too. Do you notice how Nick Cave, when he talked about it, the biggest problem he saw was that there was no mercy. There's no redemption in our culture, in our moral terms. There's no way back. Once you've made a mistake, that's it. You're done. It's over. But it's not true with Jesus. In that parable we had read at the beginning, Jesus talked about a Pharisee and a tax collector. A Pharisee like Paul used to be. And a tax collector, a used car salesman of the ancient world. And there's Jesus hanging out in the background of the picture. Awkwardly. The Pharisee came to the temple and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, like robbers and evildoers and adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give tenth of all I get. He walks up to God and just gives his LinkedIn profile. He prattles in the presence of Almighty God with how good he is at things. He comes with a righteousness that's based in him. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven. He beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's not a very complicated thing he said in the end. He owned the fact that there were holes all through his righteousness. And that what he needed was mercy. Jesus says, I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, went home justified. That word justified, it means to be declared righteous. To be righteous in God's court. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. See, it all comes down to not declaring and prattling in the presence of God how good you are, or what you have, or how high a position you climb to, but simply admitting that you need mercy. Coming with that naked faith that Calvin described, asking to be clothed in the better righteousness of Christ. Can I urge you today, go home right with God. That's what he said about the tax collector. He went home right with God. Go home right with God today. If you're a believer and you've been trusting in some Jesus-y stuff, you've been trusting in your job or in your, your achievements or in some other way of life, admit your bankruptcy. If you haven't 
ever thought of Jesus before, but you're realizing that he might have something you need. That on that final day, you want to be found in him. Come and ask for mercy tonight. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And he will clothe you with a righteousness better than anything you can make for yourself. Let's pray together. Father, we come this evening and own our own list of the things that we tell ourselves that put us in the right. However big, however small, however good, however bad. We want to acknowledge that each and every one of them is rubbish next to Jesus, next to our crucified and exalted King. Father, we all just want to own our bankruptcy this evening. That everything we've done is not enough. But everything he is, is. And so God, have mercy on us. Us sinners. Clothe us with the righteousness of Christ. Amen. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.